And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. From the Gospel of Matthew, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, you hovered over the waters when the world was called into being. And by that same Spirit, you came down upon your apostles on the day of Pentecost when they preached the good news of Jesus to that world. We pray that you would come and be among us now in a fresh way. Soften our hearts, open our ears and our eyes, for we would see Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to please be seated. A few months back, I had a moment of, like, freaking out. <laughs> um, now, I don't know about you, but I love to look at the stars whenever I get a chance. Um, if you've ever been able to get out into the middle of, like, nowhere, like, hike out somewhere really remote and see the stars, um, it, it's one of the most breathtaking things that you ever, you'll ever see, especially if you can get somewhere where there's not a lot of urban or suburban light pollution, and you can really see just how many they are in the middle of that. It's a wonderful and amazing thing to see. Um, and so I, I love to do it. You can look at them. Some, if you pay attention long enough, you'll see that they, they seem to move across the sky. If you sleep under them and wake up later, you'll see that they're different uh, than where you saw them before. It is, it is immensely cool. I love the stars. Now, around here, it's not as intense, but every once in a while, you can still get a beautiful night. Every once in a while, you'll get a really clear, dark sky where you can, and you can start to see some of what's going on there. It's not as nice as if you can get like out in the middle of nowhere, but it's good enough if you keep your eye out for it. Well, one night back in the fall, I had one of those nights, and I stepped out back to take a look. Now, my kids make fun of me because I look pretty stupid when I do this. I guess my mouth is opened and I'm like the definition of dumbfounded. The word, the word mouth breather may have been used. Um, but I was out there with my mouth open, staring at the stars for maybe five minutes. And all of a the sudden, there was a line of bright, perfect stars, a straight line of them. And it was moving very fast, faster than an airplane. Um, in, in this perfect straight line across the sky. It was faster than an airplane, it was too high to be drones, and it, my heart skipped a minute. Now, I didn't, I didn't think about UFOs for that long. Um, the thought crossed my mind. I pushed down any fears about enemy missiles or anything like that, but I couldn't for the life of me make out what that was. And, and I knew I was completely sober and it was totally fine. I was, everything was clear. So I took a picture of it and I took video of it because I didn't know what this was. Now, I'm not an expert on stars or constellations, but I know that there aren't any that are in a straight line. That was very different. And I had to go figure out what this was. Now, maybe... Many of you or most of you know what those lights are. Maybe you've seen them yourself. They're satellites from SpaceX. And actually, I had to go online and find a forum of other people freaking out, wondering what it was. Um, but it, you, there's actually an online calendar you can go and look and see where they're going to be in the sky, and you can find out if they're going to pass your house on some evening. But it was cool. It was a little creepy. Um, messed with my head. Anyway, at that moment... I think I could start to imagine what it might have been like for the Magi who have been studying the stars their entire life to step out on one night and see a star that was very different from all of the rest. And it was moving. 
And we don't know a lot about the Magi. The only other place of Scripture that talks about Magi is back in the book of Daniel. Um, the Magi, Daniel, when Daniel is captive in, from Israel into Babylon, far into the east, Daniel and his friends are made part of the wise men who give advice to King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were called the Magi. Daniel was a Jewish prophet, but he was also a Babylonian Magi. And what they did was they interpreted dreams. They read the stars. Presumably, they studied the rest of nature as well. Their job was to give advice to the king and his courts by occupying that, that weird space between the divine and nature and to give him wisdom for, for leadership. Now, some scholars have suggested that ever since the days of Daniel's, back when the Magi couldn't interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but Daniel could. The dream about the statue made up of five different metals that had some kind of future involved, that they had been paying attention ever since Daniel interpreted that dream. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that after Babylon, the top kingdom, there would be four other kingdoms that would follow Babylon in greatness. And then at the end of all of those, there would be one great king who would rise up like a mountain to rule them all. Now, when Daniel gave that interpretation, maybe they wrote it down and kept it in their own annals. Or maybe they just kept Daniel's from chapter 4. Maybe they watched for 400 years as Babylon eventually fell to Persia. And then they saw Persia fall to Alexander the Great and the Greeks. And then maybe they saw the Roman Empire rise. And then when Julius Caesar was assassinated by the Senate, you remember A2 Brute. And the Roman Empire got more complex and less strong. Maybe they saw that the Roman Empire was now something like mixed iron and clay. And then maybe some of those magi remembered the great-great-grandfather's writings 400 years ago about the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Another king was on the horizon to come. The great king was going to come. Or maybe none of that was in their mind. The Scripture doesn't tell us that that was in their mind. Daniel said nothing about the stars. And at the very least, even if they had Daniel's writings, they didn't have Micah's writings, which said that he would be born not in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem. Maybe they weren't looking for the Messiah per se. They were just looking for a new Jewish king that was somehow a part of their makeup and their understanding of the world. Maybe they were just students of the stars looking for wisdom according to the times and seasons that they thought Marduk had created. Maybe they were just good pagans who looked up one night and saw something different through their own belief system and knew that it was time for something big to be fulfilled. Either way, there was a star in the sky, and like the star, they moved. We have to go and see. We have to worship. When we talk about epiphany, this is what we mean by the word. We mean that moment when light breaks into a shadowy understanding of reality and some fulfillment, some new piece of the puzzle is added and it makes sense of everything. You've had epiphanies before, right? You've been struggling to understand something or to make sense of something and all of a sudden that cartoon light bulb comes on and you get a clue and that clue starts to make sense of everything. You've been trying to learn algebra and understand all of the problems and all of a sudden something clicks and the algebra problems start to work themselves out easier. At least I assume that that's how it happens for people who are good at algebra. I never got that epiphany. 
you've been feeling strangely sick for a couple of weeks and your clothes are fitting differently. And then that little blue line shows up on the pregnancy test. Ah, that makes sense of it all. Or you've been weak and the doctor says it's cancer. You've been forgetful and she says it's Alzheimer's. Oh, that makes sense now. And when an epiphany breaks in, your old world is gone and a new world is opening up to you. And it doesn't matter if you like the new world or not, you can't ignore it. You have to move. Your thinking has to change. Your heart has to shift. Your financial goals and your family goals and your personal goals, all of the plans for your life are now up for grabs because the world has shifted with this epiphany. We call this season of the church year epiphany because what we believe is that the coming of Jesus is the great epiphany for the entire world. It is God breaking into the world and the old world passing away and a new world is emerging in front of all of humanity. And we kick off this season with the Magi because for the Magi, the star is breaking in and making a new world for them. There's no going back the way that they came. A new king has been born and things are going to have to shift. But this also points to another truth, which is that the epiphany of Jesus is not just a Jewish epiphany. If you've been in the church long enough, you know well and good that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the entire Jewish story. He's the fulfillment of every Jewish hope and dream. He's the epiphany that makes sense of the entire Old Testament. He makes sense of the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Daniel and Micah. He makes sense of David and Bathsheba. He makes sense of Moses and that weird story about Judah and Tamar. He makes sense of Abraham and Sarah. And he makes sense of a certain promise given to Adam and Eve way back at the beginning. Jesus is the epiphany, the Messiah, who makes sense of all of it. But he's also the epiphany that makes sense of the stargazing of the Magi. He's the fulfillment of all of the Babylonian beliefs as well. Their desire to worship a God of creation full of power is fulfilled in Jesus, the Word who spoke creation into being, coming to Him and finding Him. He's the fulfillment of Hinduism, the desire for nirvana, the, to transcend the brokenness of this creation and to become one with the great reality of the world. Jesus is the way into that. He's the one who has the altar to the unknown God in Athens the one for the Stoics and the Epicureans who they're looking for. And Paul comes to them in Acts 17 and he says that they are actually looking and worshiping Jesus. He's the fulfillment of Islam. He's the Tao that Confucius told us to seek. He is the final human sacrifice, not just for the Levites, but he is somehow the final human sacrifice that can forgive and redeem and restore the human sacrifices that have been done by religions all over the world. And this is why Christians can make exclusive claims about Jesus and still be in rich dialogue and friendly conversation with our neighbors who don't believe the same way that we do. Throughout history, humanity has been gazing at the stars with Marduk, climbing the mountains with Zeus, plumbing the depths of the sea with Poseidon. We have entered the black holes of space with Hawking, the black holes of the self with Freud, and we're trying to make sense of all of it. And this one, Jesus is the one who comes and he holds it all together. 
This is the great epiphany of the world, the light bulb going on. He breaks in and everything must change. And you can try to ignore him. Pilate did. You can try to push him away. The Pharisees did. You could even try to crush him. Both Herods did. But they're gone. And Jesus is still here. This is the king, the God of the universe, taking on flesh to be, fulf- to be the fulfillment of all of our hopes and dreams. The desire of nations come as we sometimes sing. And all of that would be enough to make celebrating the epiphany important. But let me finish this morning by taking this meandering meditation and turning it into a sermon. Jesus is the fulfillment of every human system of belief. He's the fulfillment of every desire. It all has to come back to him if the world is going to ever enjoy the things that it is actually after. Every philosophy or religion or scientific or psychological paradigm has to find its fulfillment in him. But it's not just for formal systems. You have beliefs and desires as well. There are things that you are longing for, hopes and beliefs about what you want out of life, things that you think, the, things that are part of the way you think the world should work. Some of them are so deep that you haven't yet realized what they are. It's just the water that you're swimming in. But every once in a while, you realize this is what I'm after in my life. Now, maybe you're not particularly philosophical or religious, but you know who you are as a person. Maybe you're not reading books on ethics, but you have an idea of what is right and what is wrong. You have ways of seeing the world and goals for your life. And to be perfectly honest, those are actually more formative for the world than anything else that's been done in a lab or at a university or by a guru on the mountain because those beliefs that you carry are the ones that will raise children and shape neighborhoods and communities. They will affect the world more that we all live in than anything else. And this is what the epiphany has to say to you. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those beliefs and all of those desires too. That longing in your heart to be whole, to be balanced, to be joyful. Your desire to be loved and respected and known. Your desire for the world to work right and to be safe for everyone. Your quest to have an identity or to be healed in your past. The pleasures you want to experience the longing you have to just not be so bored with modernity. All of it is pointing to a single longing for God that can make sense of all of it and provide all of it. And Jesus is that God. But this is the challenge. You and I are also very busy trying to find those things somewhere else. There are parts of you and parts of me that are not ready to receive him because we still kind of think that there's another way. And as hard as it is to admit this, as hard as it is for me to admit this, you and I have a Herod in charge of parts of our hearts. And that Herod looks strangely like me in my heart. When Jesus comes to be king of that part of you, you'll be shocked at just what you'll be willing to do to keep him away. Don't think for a minute that Pilate is the only one washing his hands of Jesus. There are parts of me that wash my hands of Jesus every time a Wednesday afternoon offers me a life that I don't want. 
There's a Herod that wants my finances to look a certain way. There's a Herod that wants my home to work a certain way. There's a Herod that wants a certain kind of reputation and a certain kind of life. There are people that it is hard to love. There are people that need to be forgiven, and the Herod in me does not want to do it. And you have it too. What part of your life is just so hard that you can't let Jesus take over? What parts have you stepped out into your plans and you've never stopped to ask him, what does he want? There will be days when those parts of your heart will think that they can crucify him or at least ignore him and sweep him under the rug of history or under the rug of your life so that you can go on and try to satisfy your longings in some other way. But here's the thing, that other way, all of those other ways will beat you up and they will leave you dead. Your bank account and your resume and your reputation and even these wonderful parts of our life like your family and your ministry, whatever that happens to be, they don't love you as much as you're longing for and they can't. Those things cannot shepherd you through life and they especially cannot shepherd you through death. Herod's life was plagued by constant paranoia, stress, and anxiety as he tried to hold on and make his life work. But this is the promise. Jesus can shepherd you through life and death, and he has come for you. And this is what's most amazing about Herod's and Jesus. Herod's will try to kill Jesus in order to satisfy their wills, but Jesus will give up his wills in order to die for Herod's. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, he's talking about Herod as part of that. The ones in the first century and the ones in my own heart. The very part of you that is not ready for Jesus is the very part of you that Jesus came to die for so that he might forgive it and remake it and bring it in from gripping and striving and trying to make life work into a life of rest and exceedingly great joy. The story of Herod and the Magi is the story of two royal houses longing for something great. One sought to have Jesus killed in order to secure his own way for glory. He wanted Jesus out so that he could continue to create his best self. And he died angry and alone because he couldn't receive what Jesus was bringing. The others laid their glory down at the feet of Jesus in order to just be with him. The true fulfillment of their deepest desires, and they had exceedingly great joy, and they were able to greet the day with a smile. The epiphany is broken in, and there is no rule that says that the story as it plays out in your heart can't be rewritten. The Herods of the world, your Herod and my Herod, can still go to Bethlehem with the Magi and rejoice. And that's something to chew on. What would have happened if Herod had just gone with them? You and I have the opportunity to actually find out in our own hearts. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.